Welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay. I'm many things. The one I'm enjoying most is being mum to my daughter Ava. This podcast is about the common experience of motherhood. It is a contemporary archive of lives lived as mothers as well as being ourselves. I hope you may find connection and community in these shared stories. Thanks for coming on this journey with me and happy listening. In this week's episode, I'm talking to Kat Strawbridge about her trying years and journey to finally becoming a mum. We talk about the seven years filled with rounds of IUI and IVF, the toll on her mental health, capacity to work and impact on her relationship. Kat endured several miscarriages, including losing the twin to the baby who was to become her daughter, Ren. Kat opens up about the community of those on a journey trying to conceive and the unique space held by those who are finally pregnant and moving into parenthood. Enjoy today's show. Kat tells it with such warmth and candor, and I know you will enjoy the chance to learn from or connect with her story. Hi, Kat. Thanks for coming and joining me here on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Techie. I really, really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk about lots of things that probably aren't talked about enough. So I think we've got some good things to cover today. And I'm just really grateful for your openness to share with us. Oh, honestly, the more I can get the conversation about infertility and baby loss out there and that there is hope and, you know, it does sometimes work. uh, Yeah, the better. It really is. And Kat, would you mind introducing yourself for the listeners and maybe a bit about your family? Of course. So I'm Kat Drawbridge. I wife to Bob and mum to Ren, who is just over a year old. Uh, we got married, Bob and I, in 2012. We've been together about four years at that point. Started trying to conceive and we have had an eight-year fertility journey to actually have our daughter and I do a lot of work because of that I did a lot of work within the trying to conceive community before when I was trying and now that I got finally pregnant and I'm finally parenting as I call it I continue to do a lot of work supporting people through their finally pregnant journey and and onwards so yeah that's kind of in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> well, no, there's a lot there. And do you want to maybe take us back to the beginning of your journey to becoming a mum? I know having had a look at some of the things you've written on Instagram, it was something you were both really keen to start trying soon after you got married. Is that right? It is, yeah. I guess it's interesting because years before that, when I was chatting to one specific friend, and I feel like we had the same conversation a few times, and I wasn't sure if I wanted children, mm. but I think actually what it was is I wasn't in the right relationship to want children. And then when we met, we were, I was late 20s, Bob was early 30s. We had a good time, you know, drinking and just having fun. And then we got married and we decided to start trying pretty much immediately. I changed jobs and, you know, we didn't want to get pregnant and go on maternity leave immediately. Ha ha ha. Um, And (laughs) looking back now, I just think, what? But yeah, so we, we, I changed jobs. So we left it kind of three or four months after we had got married. And then we were trying and, you know, for a long time, we had 
tests about 18 months in because nothing was happening and I come from a very fertile family I'm one of four children all of my sisters have got children and on Bob's side you know we've got nieces so yeah we went for tests and they couldn't identify any issues and then we were referred to a fertility clinic eventually and where we were living in London at the time we got one free round where we actually had three rounds of IUI which is interuterine insemination so you know they turkey based her put some sperm in you at the right time of the month is the kind of layman's description <laughs> <laughs> that's how I talk about it and they didn't work and then we had a round of IVF and just to say we were diagnosed with unexplained infertility so we had our first round of IVF in that was kind of the autumn of 2014 and we got pregnant and we were like, yes, brilliant, sorted, you know, IVF always worked. Uh, and then we went for an early scan at about seven weeks and we found out that the pregnancy hadn't progressed. So we had a pregnancy sack, but the embryo hadn't actually grown. And that was the most heartbreaking thing. We just had not even considered that that might be an issue Our, you know, our thoughts on it were IVF was, was the answer and then we got pregnant and then we were heartbroken completely. When you invest so much in the actually getting pregnant, it comes as a shock to get to that point seven weeks later. You might, yeah, just never have considered it as a possibility. Exactly that. And what I think people don't realise, and I think this can happen to anyone how, you know, once you've decided that you're trying to conceive, I'm sure even if it only takes you three months, then the periods that you get, you know, kind of month one and month two, they are disappointing. And they, you do, think, oh, you know, like that was supposed to be my baby. I'm supposed to be pregnant. So multiply that by 12, by 24 months, and then going through all the injections and the scans and different treatment. And there's a huge, huge buildup. And essentially it's a huge buildup of grief as well as time and effort and emotion and and it, you know, eventually it becomes financial as well. But it's, yeah, it's a huge, huge build up. And then to fall off that cliff when you find out that actually you're having a miscarriage is, yeah, has obviously had a huge impact. So that was a really difficult time. And then we went on and we had two frozen embryos from that round of IVF. So several months later, once we kind of felt like we picked ourselves up and kind of dealt with our pregnancy or pregnancy loss a bit more, we had two frozen embryo transfers 2015 the summer which didn't work and then and at this point it's impacting everything I'm going to ask how was your relationship at this point as well it happened the relationship it was really tough on my my personal kind of my my life and my work in particular so i left work i went off sick the september of 2015 and I didn't go back and I didn't work again, really. It was in the long run, actually, it was only about seven months or so, but I didn't go back into my career until a couple of years later. And the reason I decided to leave work was because I was unraveling and I couldn't manage, you know, huge budget and a big team. I just couldn't deal with everyone's can I swear shit yeah when talking about this we can swear <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah I just couldn't deal with their shit which is of course is important to them 
but when I was going through everything and I had made the decision not to share it with people at that point as well mm-hmm. to say, even though I'm a huge advocate of sharing like my family and my friends knew but I didn't want to take it into work I didn't want the questions like oh what are you doing now where are you now has it worked I decided that I wanted that to be separate and go to work and put that hat on and yeah exactly however the impact that it was having on my mental health in my personal life I couldn't help but take that to work unfortunately and so that's why it you know that ended up taking over so I did leave work and we went into another round of IVF at that point a fresh round which was a big deal a huge Harley Street clinic 25,000 pounds later and we got exactly the same result as we had had from our free NHS round which was pregnant and then we miscarried early and for this for this one we were having HCG tests quite early on so you know the pregnancy hormone and we knew the levels were quite low so we did have an inkling from the beginning that it probably wasn't going to progress successfully but it was still really difficult and I spent the Christmas miscarrying again actually for the second year in a row which was pretty tough and that then the new year I was at my lowest ebb um, and going into January 2016 I could barely get out of bed I looked in my wardrobe and I didn't recognize myself I didn't fit any of my clothes because of the drugs the hormones the the alcohol you know who I sank myself into and the food when everything went wrong I'd put on a good couple of stone I we'd moved to the countryside I wasn't working I wasn't a mum I just didn't recognize myself I didn't know who I was and I really had to pick myself up and the following year we decided to take a break from our fertility treatment and we focused on ourselves and actually refinding ourselves after everything that had gone on because we were completely lost. I I haven't been through your experience of trying to conceive, but I know in my own life I was so lost. And just how you're describing, like you you just don't even know where to go next. You don't recognise yourself. You can't get out of bed. There's just no reason to get out of bed. And I saw on your Instagram, I think it was saying that IVF isn't glamorous, and the rates of depression and suicidal thoughts for people going through that process is staggeringly and shockingly high it's grief like you said to need to grieve and probably try and find yourself again that's no small feat exactly and what happens is everyone in your life is moving forwards and you feel like you're standing still and we were at that point we were trying to you know picture our lives without children and there are lots of different options and the things I say to people are you know you can't make the decisions until you're in that position but we didn't feel like adoption was a way that we were going to go we did later on think about donor conception but we actually ended up having two more rounds of fertility treatment so one was a negative and we didn't get pregnant at all and we had decided three rounds and we were out but then we went to see a private gynecologist asked him to review our folder We really liked him. He told me quite matter-of-factly, or told us, that we've got one more round in me and then we should go to donor conception. And I was 39 at that point. It was the April time and I was going to be 40 in September. So we thought, right, let's do it. Let's have one more round and then we'll look into donor conception. But going back to your point a second ago, um, I, I think that we there are lots of reasons why we feel like that in our lives and we lose our identity. And for me at the time, it was because I wasn't a mum. 
I think a lot of people it happens when they become mums yes it, it's really hard and we need to look for support we can't do it on our own as far as infertility is concerned just a few of the stats around that in case anyone's listening and they are they've been through it or they're dealing with secondary infertility 3.5 million people in the UK alone who are struggling to conceive and facing infertility and the stats are over 90% say that they felt depressed and 42% that's almost half of that 3.5 million have said that they felt suicidal in a research that was done a few years ago so that is it's it's huge in our lives and we really need to make sure that we are seeking support for it if that's what we're going through and I think Kat too what you said was about how it's it's up to you as a couple as well I imagine maybe for friends and family I don't know if they start having conversations like why don't you think about adoption or why don't you think about this and imagine them seeing you go through it they're trying to help but it's probably a very lonely experience for you and your husband. It is there are lots of things you shouldn't say to people like why don't you just adopt and a response to that which I heard from an amazing woman was there's no just in adoption and also like anyone can adopt absolutely anyone can do it and it's an incredible thing but you have to be the right person and you know I don't know if I was I don't know if we are the right people for that and it just yeah there's loads of things that people say can are you can (laughs) oh you must like you've got wonderful holidays and you've got so much free time you can have lions all the time and all of those things you would in a heartbeat yes I don't want my lions (laughs) and then I also was curious the impact of getting older on the IVF journey was that a consideration from I guess the provision of IVF or it didn't really play a part it didn't play a part with regards to my uh, the availability of um, free IVF on the NHS so again just kind of some of the stats you The IVF, the NICE guidelines are that everyone should get three rounds free on the NHS. Now it's not work out that way. It doesn't work out that way because it's looked after by independent CCGs across the UK. So depending on where your doctor is based, that CCG looks after the provisions and decides whether you get it. Depending on where you live in the country, some people get none. Some people get three, but it's very unlikely that people get three free rounds of IVF. And not only that, but there's a lot of stipulations. So you can't have, neither of you, if you're in a partnership, can have a child from previous marriage or or previous relationship, should I say, depending on how old you are, you know, once you, depending again, where you are in the country, age is a factor, whether you're 38, 40, 41, 42, there's a cutoff. Things like BMI is a huge thing. And the other thing I'm trying to think, can't think what it is. Oh, actually, that's what it is. It's if you've had a miscarriage in some places, and this was the case for us, we had a miscarriage, so we couldn't apply again for two years, even though we'd had a miscarriage. You know, it's just, yeah, that is a huge, huge disparity. And it means that depending on your postcode or the size of your wallet, Mm. and how much you can afford that might be the the deciding factor on whether or not you have treatment and therefore have children which is so unfair it's unbelievably unfair or even like in your case you weren't able to do your job but I imagine a lot of people are really torn if I don't keep working then we can't fund this and I just imagine that 
deterioration can happen so rapidly when you're stuck in a situation trying to find a way to pay for this it must just be so toxic and consuming completely and I think what happened certainly in our experience and I do feel like other people who are doing this within a partnership it's the same for them is the partner feels a huge amount of financial pressure to stay in their job but you know the impact of infertility is, is it happens to both of you and where there is a partner you know that is having a huge toll and the baby it all happens to both of you and the way that I talk about it and this is advice that was given to me and it's something that I repeat because I think it's so true and again probably true across loads of things that happen in life when we were having the treatment and the subsequent miscarriages I was broken and I was kind of broken physically because I'd been through so much and my husband really stepped up and looked after me and then when I felt a bit more fixed and a bit more sorted and stronger that's kind of when he fell apart so this was several months later and and I looked at him I remember and thought what you know what's wrong we're sorted we're you know we're moving forward now but he had been looking after me and it wasn't until I was ready that he could actually deal with it and like I say I think that probably happens in a lot of things in life and it's it's, yeah it's hard I guess that's part of the partnership isn't it you sort of try and hold each other up but yeah when one goes down it's it's hard when you both go down do you try and keep at least one of you afloat for a little while (laughs) exactly yeah and then Kat how did you then come to be pregnant with Wren it's your last last round of IVF we've got 40 around the corner it must have felt just huge or maybe even relief I'm not sure well, I think, to be honest, it was a bit of a mixture because I think we were so resigned to it not working, but mm. we were, this was our one for luck. So we just went into it. And funny enough, you know, we had, in previous rounds, we had eaten totally organic and we had had loads of reflexology and acupuncture and all, you know, you name it, we tried it. With this round, we ate some organic because at this point, you know, the coffers are low. We did not have the money to spend everything <laughs> on it. I didn't do any reflexology, anything like that. But we just went in and thought, right, you know. And I remember hearing someone speak at something I went to. And it was an embryologist. And he said, if an embryo is going to stick, it's going to stick. And that was my mentality going through this. You know, if it was mm. going to work, it was going to work. There wasn't an awful lot that I could do to change it. However... My whole mantra through all of my fertility treatment and even now, like life in general, is no regrets. So I didn't do anything that I thought might harm our chances for sure. And but we went into it and we ended up with two day five embryos. So very briefly, there's different protocols. This isn't the same for everyone. But what we did was we have down regs. So it suppresses your menstrual cycle. So they don't want you to ovulate or anything. They kind of want to control your uh, menstrual cycle and then they stimulate your follicles so in each of your ovaries usually you have one follicle each month from each side alternate and one and one egg comes out but what they want to do is they want to stimulate both ovaries all the follicles in them so that when you have egg collection they collect as many eggs as possible and chances are you know really is the case that as you get older you tend to get less and less eggs and I ended up with about six I think when we went in for egg collection and then what you do after that and that's when my husband gave his sperm sample and then you have to wait overnight to see how many of those have fertilized and then every day over the next few days hopefully you get a call saying x number have you know developed 
So we ended up with day five, two day five. So we were really happy with that because that's kind of sort of the best you can get. And then at day five, they put them back in you. We decided to have one embryo transferred. It was a personal choice. Depending on where you are, you can have one or two. And we ended up getting pregnant. And I had my 40th birthday actually over my two week wait, as we call it. And I was pregnant and we were just couldn't believe it. And you do, you're excited for about 10 minutes. And then because of previous failures and previous, you know, everything that had gone into it, you almost immediately are anxious again and you're worried and you're just desperate for your next scan. And we ended up having about 10 scans in the first 16 weeks. I kid you not. We had a lot. We went for private scans. Our early pregnancy unit where I live were amazing and saw us for several scans as well. We actually started off expecting identical twins so the one embryo that we put in split which was a shocker I can tell you and like honestly my hat goes off to anyone who's got twins out there because we were like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) we could not believe it and we were a little bit kind of dumbstruck by the idea it was a shocker but we were delighted obviously it was a great shock but we were like, oh my God, we're going to need a bigger car. Are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Etc. It was scary, but wonderful scary. But unfortunately, between week nine and 10, we lost one of the twins, which was really difficult for, for obviously, like it would be difficult for anyone. But I was just starting to feel a bit more confident in the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And then that really knocked my confidence again. And I remember standing with my sister that day and saying to her I'm exactly where I want to be because I was pregnant with a healthy baby inside me and yet it was still being really difficult for us you know we weren't it was just none of it was easy I don't want to say easy it was just you know it was just another setback and and for anyone out there who has been through a twin loss you know the juxtaposition of the excitement and the joy that you have got a growing baby inside you and I I dare say you know especially after everything we've been through but for anyone and that next to the grief and the heartbreak Mm. that you are miscarrying or you've miscarried at exactly the same time is a really complex set of emotions that I had not considered before and and that took a while to get over. And it's something that still affects me now. It really does. And I don't think it go away, unfortunately. Two things, Kat. I wonder if you might open up a bit about what do you do with, with the baby you lose when you have twins? What's the process? Do, do you have, I don't know, a, a DNC or are you given options? And then the other thought I had too was being an identical twin, I guess, you said it won't ever go away but you see Ren every day so it must bring it up a bit as well. With regards to the first question you know really good question because of when it was so it was relatively early the body actually reabsorbs the fetus so we didn't have to do anything. I know that that might be different for people who have a you know lose a twin later on and I think it it depends on the circumstances really but yeah in my case we didn't have to do anything it was and and the times that that was hard initially was at scans because you could still see it but you could see Wren as we now know her um growing but then it got to a stage where you could only see Wren so that was much easier and 
yeah, as far as it coming up, I thought I was worried that it would happen at the birth. I was worried, you know, on her birthday, like big mm. milestones. But funny enough, it doesn't necessarily cross my mind then. I, I was at um I was out the other day and I saw twin girls, identical twin girls in a push chair. And that really, you know, that did trigger me. That really, you know, that's gonna, yeah, just made me think about it. But one of the big times that it's come up is we are wondering whether or not we're going to be able to give Ren a sibling. I'm 42 in September, so not far off. We've got one frozen embryo and we're, you know, there's a lot of conversation around whether or not we're going to put that back in because of mental health issues, because of job security, especially going through COVID mm. and financial implications and, and lots and lots more. Um, but... I wish now, even more than ever, that that twin had survived because mm. we could have drawn a line under our fertility journey because we would have had the two girls because Ren would have had a sibling. And 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 that's, you know, it's something that I'm speaking to a counsellor about at the moment, which is something that I hugely am a huge advocate of, talking and, you know, if you can seek professional advice or go to a support group. But yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm I feel angry inside. I feel annoyed and upset with that twin for leaving us because things would have been so much easier or straightforward. And and I'm sure you know that's all all part of the grief, really. Yeah. And yeah. thank you for opening up too about the complex emotions around grief because I think a lot of the time we think of it as just deep sadness, but actually there's a lot of other things in there like anger. So thank you. And then how did you go for the rest of your pregnancy after that? You were saying it got easier when you could just see Ren growing. Did you plan a lot for your birth? We So our little survivor, as she was growing, because of our fertility journey and because I am so immersed in the fertility community, I, I knew a lot of heartbreaking stories. So I didn't ever sit back, I don't think. Yeah. And we waited until viability, so until 24 weeks before we would even really have any baby stuff in the house. And like, we got given everything from my sisters, who I've got loads of nieces and nephews. And so, but we wouldn't have the cot, we didn't pay the nursery, we wouldn't have any clothes or anything in the house until after viability, which I think is fairly common within the community. And I, I had some struggles with work. I ended up taking some time off sick because of stress. And I think that was because of my pregnancy, really, you know, because I was so anxious and so worried, even though on the face of it, I, I think I took it in my stride. Actually, I think that there was a lot going on underneath. And then a lot of people came to me, actually, during my pregnancy and said, where is the support for you once we get pregnant after infertility and loss? And I realised that I needed that as well and, and it wasn't out there. And so in the last six weeks of my pregnancy, and it sounds crazy, but actually it was so good for me. I <laughs> yeah. created my own podcast called The Finally Pregnant Podcast for people who are finally pregnant after infertility and loss. And it gave me such a focus. It really did. And that was amazing. And I was so organised. I was having a conversation with someone else the other day about how we really feel like in that last trimester, or this is our experience, the person I was talking to and myself, that, you know, we can we can achieve everything. And I guess there's a, a sense, there's a deadline, isn't there, that we have to get it done by the birth. And so, yeah, so I put that together, which is something I still, still run now and host. And it still goes out every couple of weeks. And I love hearing other people's stories. Um, and then at the birth, we were consultant-led when it was twins. But then we went to midwife care. 
but we ended up still having a couple of appointments with the consultant, which I never really got my head around, but I was grateful for it. And what we were told is that because of my age, because it was IVF, and this depends on your hospital, so have the conversations with your consultants, but they wanted me to come in and be induced. And I, I said yes. So we went in on the 5th of June. I was 39 weeks to be induced. And we had talked about me having a short, kind, you know, like within 48 hours, if nothing was happening with the induction, I would have cesarean because within my family, all of my nieces and nephews on my side have been born by cesarean, all for different reasons. But it was something I was very conscious of and failure to progress is one of the reasons. So I'd said, you know, if nothing's happened within 48 hours, could I have a cesarean? Or as I now call them, because I heard the other day I an abdominal birth. Yeah, because it is and it is still a birth. And 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 I love that when someone said that to me. I just I love it. And but what happened was they kind of said no. And I love my birth story, but the induction part of it was really, really hard work. I don't know. Do you want me to just crack on and tell you that? Please, kid us. <laughs> so we went in on the Wednesday and there was an issue with bed because the hospital is right at Avondale in Cambridge. And it's a, a, a kind of a receiver hospital to any traumas like within a huge area. And so they were having an issue with the number of beds that there were in the delivery suite. And so we, but we managed to get a bed, we were induced, but they couldn't send us through to the delivery suite because they didn't have enough beds. And what they did, you know, with lots of people in, in the ward was they said, right, you're going to go over now. And then they cancelled it. And so it was a real stop, start, stop, start my induction. And, and that was difficult. And by the Saturday night, so bearing in mind, I've been in there from the Wednesday, by the Saturday night, I remember going to the nurse's station or the midwife station at 3am on Saturday night in tears. I was broken. I really was. I wasn't in pain. I wasn't, you know, there was nothing like that. I was barely dilated, you know, dilated at all. Um, but I, I was just broken mentally. I just really needed to get on with it. And they wouldn't give me, well, you know, they wouldn't give me cesarean. They said that even if we did book it in, it wouldn't happen until the following week. So they wanted to carry on with the induction. And yeah, so it was just, it was it was hard work. But on the Sunday, we did go over. Um, they said that I was dilated. I think it was about two or three centimeters, and I had a what do they call it? An ARM, an artificial rupture yep. of the membrane. So they broke my waters. And a midwife tried to do it, and she couldn't do it. And I really got the sense that I was only barely dilated enough at this point. Um, but and then a doctor came in, but he did it, and it wasn't scary. I was really scared about that. I thought, oh my god, it's going to be really painful. But it really wasn't scary at all. It was a bit uncomfortable, but it didn't hurt. It was actually it was fine. And and then we cracked on from there. And I was put on the drip, which I think quite often happens when you are induced. There is, and I've heard this since, there is more chance of having more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? That's the word. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Somebody you know. um, and, and that was the case. But we had the most amazing midwife. And I just remember like that was Sunday evening and all through Sunday night. It was glorious. And I don't know whether it was the drugs. So I had <laughs> some gas in there to start with. I used my TENS machine. Mm -hmm. what, the, um, 
midwife said was the longest she'd ever seen anyone manage on it <laughs> which ridiculously I kind of take a bit of pride in I but I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that's well, I don't know it's silly isn't it but the reason that was the case it wasn't through choice necessarily and I was having gas and air as well but the reason that was the case was because I was quite I there's a story in my past where I had heard really bad things about epidurals now this was 25 years ago but it stayed with me and I'm sure lots of things have changed since then but I, I, I was scared to have an epidural. It wasn't that I was trying to be brave and, you know, I can take the pain. I was absolutely petrified at the idea of having an epidural. What my midwife did was amazing. And she said, well, let's get the anaesthetist in, have a conversation with you. And then you know what's going to happen if yeah. you later on decide that you, you want it. And I was like, OK, I'm open to this. Like this pain is 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 becoming quite Massive. quite serious <laughs> and you know I think perhaps I might end up going down that way so the anaesthetist came in talked me through it that was all good I was warned at that point that the anaesthetist might end up in theatre so I needed to bear that in mind and lo and behold that's exactly what happened <laughs> and choice so taken I think, away from you <laughs> exactly so about an hour later I was like do you know what I think I, I think I want the epidural <laughs> And I can't remember now what time that was, about one o'clock, I'm going to say, two o'clock a.m. And they didn't come back to me for three hours. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> and so the TENS machine and the gas and air. And, yeah, it was it was pretty full on. And, but the, like people say, and jumping ahead here, you know, you, I know that it was the most painful that I've ever been in. But... I can't remember what it was like mm. you know I can't remember that it could have been that painful even though I know full well it was the most painful thing I've ever been through in my whole life it's, but, it's such a funny thing talking to friends who haven't had babies and they asked me a lot about that and I was like I know as a fact it was but I can't actually recall that sensation <laughs> exactly the brain is is a very very clever thing yeah, isn't it it's absolutely <laughs> So then, so I had the epidural and that all went fine. And I, by about, was it by about six o'clock? So that's when my lovely, lovely midwife left me. I was really sad to see her go, but they obviously do 12 hour shifts and then have to go home and sleep and eat and see their families. And so she left at about six. And I think I was about six centimetres dilated at that point. So it taken since the Wednesday until 6am on Monday morning for me to get six centimetres dilated mm. and then a couple of hours later I was checked <clears throat> and the midwife was like mm. they, I think they were a bit worried about Ren's trace her, the, her heart trace and so she got a second pair of eyes on it and then all of a sudden a doctor came in checked me I was 10 centimetres dilated this is about nine o'clock and there was there was a huge panic really and this was the only bit of my birth well other than the induction I suppose <laughs> that it was, this, it, this did feel I don't want to say traumatic although it was quite traumatic at the time my husband and I both heard and I'll explain what they said but this is what we heard we both heard that it was me or her and that was really frightening and the reason that we heard that was because what they had said is she was the wrong position for a vaginal birth but she was too far down for too um, far down for a, exactly. an abdominal birth that's it and hearing that you know when you're sleep deprived when you've been in the hospital for days when you're on loads of drugs 
it was yeah that was pretty traumatic and I do I so I was transferred to theatre and I was shaking like violently shaking I couldn't stop myself I really couldn't however when we got to theatre I have to say that the doctors and nurses there were incredible and for anyone who has been through that part you know every single one of them came over and introduced themselves mm-hmm. and told me what their job was and what their role was it was just such a special even that was a really special experience even though like I say I was violently shaking and I was prepared for a, an abdominal birth so um they they gave me a little shave and I do I remember even making the joke oh that's the most action my bikini line has seen in months <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in there I was I was trying to kind of normalize all of yeah. this and feel okay about it but I would I, I I consider myself fortunate because I would have hated to have gone through all of those days and then had a cesarean which you know when I've been asking for that almost from the beginning yes um but I I would they used a Vontus, uh, no, a Kiwi rather, which I, I looked this up afterwards and I couldn't find a lot of information, but you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is a Kiwi is, is exactly the same as a Vontus, so it's kind of a suction, but it's a hand pump, whereas a Vontus is is kind of connected to something electrical, um, so it's a bit stronger. Uh, I so I've never given... heard of a Kiwi, I'm going to have to go and look this up. Yeah, well, like I say, I looked it up and I couldn't find a lot about it. So I can't remember where I found out that bit of information, but that's my understanding of it. So I was given an episiotomy and I was, yeah, they they used this kiwi cup and two pushes and and Ren was out, which was just, and I've got a picture which I've never shared and I don't know if I ever will share. There's some things that are just two person, you know, like, you. you know, like, yeah I would talk about all of this as much as and I would share lots of pictures but there's one picture and it's where Ren is put on me and she's like rugby ball thrown onto my chest because I was very much you know about the skin to skin the umbilical cord is still connected Mm. and honestly the emotion in my face when oh it was just the most incredible moment of my entire life it really was and yeah, there is pain, there is love, there is everything in my face at that moment. Oh, and yeah, oh, oh, sorry, I'm like, incredible. I'm like, don't cry. <laughs> um, oh, I just could only like after how many years, and then finally to hold your baby. Oh my god, <laughs> you don't need to show yeah. us the picture. We can we get enough no. from that description. <laughs> yeah, it just oh, it was just very, very, very special indeed. It really was. Oh gosh. And then how has your journey being a mum been? I just, I can't even imagine after so long trying to get pregnant, going through the pregnancy, hoping that it's all going to be okay. Were you even prepared for motherhood in a way? I don't, I imagine it was so much about pregnancy and then here you are. I I think I would have been in a state of shock. I, I think you're right. I really do. And I think that that is the case of so many people. I was, I count myself really lucky. Like, well, breastfeeding is a whole different ball game to what I'm going to talk about. But yeah, breastfeeding was just the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> that was the first, like the first two weeks and Ren was losing weight. Um, so I had to, when the health visitors came in, they were saying you have to give a top up with a bottle and I had heard loads of things about nipple confusion and I was so determined and I really I want to do some work around this connection because I feel like 
for fertility patients in particular when they do have a baby breastfeeding is is a huge i think i think vaginal birth is a huge thing and i think breastfeeding is a huge thing because we have lost so much trust in our bodies because it won't make a baby and carry a baby full term so when that does happen we want to do as much kind of, I say you know quote unquote naturally as possible sort of and to reclaim that space exactly and and that's you know and like that's why I love abdominal birth because it doesn't matter like how you birth your child you are birthing them you know and and I love that phrase rather than cesarean yes and and breastfeeding, you know, again, it was I, it was hugely my desire to breastfeed. And I tried to tell myself that it was going to be OK if I couldn't. But I, you know, I was determined. And what happened with me is it's a great problem to have, but it's a problem still. I had a huge oversupply. So the way the midwives talked to me about it was imagine if you blow up a balloon um, to full capacity and then you try and get your mouth around it. And that was Ren trying to kind of latch onto my boob she just could not get her mouth there was nothing to hold on to because I was just so engorged and so what we needed to do was you know let out some of that milk let so let out the air in the balloon so that actually you can get a grip on it yeah and it took a few days until I found a midwife who had been through the engorgement herself and she was amazing she really really was incredible however we still did end up um, supplementing the feeds with a bottle feed as well and and actually long term it was brilliant because mm-hmm. it meant that rent was the bottle and I know lots of people that their children don't and and some people love that that's the case for me I went back to work quite quickly afterwards and I was at an event so I run a business with Kat and Alice with an amazing woman Alice this is Alice Rose on Instagram and we support people who are going through their fertility you know they're trying to conceive years and we had an event in August the Ren was three months old I was out of the house from 6am to 9pm and Ren could be looked after by Bob and his mum came down as well because she would take a bottle so long term I was really pleased actually that she took a bottle but at the time I was petrified that it was going to be the end of our, our breastfeeding journey because I was giving her a bottle so yeah the first two weeks were really hard we were on a three-hour cycle of you know wake her up change a nappy feed her then bottle feed her then put her to sleep and that was relentless but brilliant it actually gave me something to do you know I understood where I was but longer term I feel like actually my mum said this to me which I took a huge compliment she kind of was like you've just got this haven't you like Mm. do you think and I think what she said was do you think it's because of all your nieces and nephews that you know what to do and I don't consider myself as someone that was very good with children before because I just didn't know what to do with yeah. <laughs> I knew what to do, but I just didn't. I really didn't. And I, I was scared that they weren't going to like me, that I was going to upset them. And But I feel like with Ren, we just belong. And, and that's just been the case from the beginning. And I'm so grateful that that has been the case. And I don't know why. I don't know what I did to deserve that. That is just... But I'm really grateful. And yeah it's been it's been amazing it really has oh Kat that what a wait what a journey and then so wonderful to hear positive outcomes I don't know I think it must be so hard for a lot of people who are still on their journey to becoming parents 
I don't know if you ever struggle with the duality of holding space as a happy parent and supporting those going through it. I don't know how that goes in, within the community that you work in. That can be really difficult. And I think that is, you know, that's the reason that I started speaking out a bit about the pregnancies after infertility and loss, because I like on a personal level with people who are on Instagram and Instagram is an amazing place to be if you're trying to conceive because the support there and you know the community there is just immense but people withdraw when they get pregnant and I know that I did it a bit as well I didn't really want to share bump pictures too much because I didn't want to upset the people who were still trying but what I have realized through my own journey is that we still need support it's still a stage of the fertility journey and we are still so affected by the the trying to conceive years during our pregnancy and actually into into parenthood as well mm. because we have so much guilt even when Ren went to nursery and I was like wow she I've waited seven years for her and I'm putting her into nursery at seven months because I need to work you know financially we need to work and and I'm just one of those people who I, I enjoy I really love the work that I do and I had huge guilt huge huge guilt so and I do think that's and an aftermath of my fertility journey but what I do with my trying years page is predominantly finally pregnant and parenting although I will always support people who are trying to conceive and and there are some people who are considerably braver than I am who follow my page and listen to my podcast while they're trying because it brings them hope and I think mm -hmm. that that is amazing mm -hmm. but then for me because I've got the cat and Alice side of things that's where I predominantly do and look after and support and do the work around for people who are trying to conceive. So there is a crossover, absolutely. But, you know, people can kind of find me wherever they need to within their journey, hopefully. Like you mentioned earlier, your journey may not be done yet. There's still the thought of having a sibling for Ren or another baby. I guess it's it's continuing or it's still relevant. All that you went through before is potentially around the corner again. Exactly that. Like we have decided that we're not going to do another fresh round of IVF. Like I say, I'm 42 soon. My husband's 45. We haven't got the money. We haven't got the I don't want to say desire we have got obviously we've got the desire to have children but we just haven't got it in us mm. to have another round of IVF and but we have got this one frozen embryo so I I'd like to think we will do it I think that you know we are talking about it like I say I'm talking to a counsellor about it but it is an ongoing thing and there is so much guilt that comes with not potentially giving your child a sibling because of everything you're going through there's so many thoughts around secondary infertility that if anyone's listening and going through it you know please know that there are other people going through that and what I do on my account quite often is takeovers and someone recently did one specifically about mm. secondary infertility so you can head over to my highlights and see that there but yeah yeah it is ongoing and and the work I do will continue as well so oh well thank you so much for sharing there's so much in your story that I think will be a tremendous insight or comfort to those listening and Kat how are people best to find you on Instagram they thank you so much firstly I really appreciate you just giving me this opportunity to share my story as well and I hope that there are people out there listening who realize that they're not alone if they mm. have been through similar and and for others if they've got friends going through it they can kind of get a bit of an insight as well That's but as far as Instagram's concerned come and find me at trying years 
uh, as in we were trying for years and they were very trying years. And for anyone who's looking for specific trying to conceive um, support, they can come and find me at it Cat and Alice. And yeah, and, and on my trying years, particularly like I run a, my podcast and I run a membership community for people who are finally pregnant events you know just different bits and pieces so yeah there's lots going on there I'll put links to all of that on your episode page so people can find that but definitely podcast is wonderful I've been listening to a few of them myself um, and it's just really insightful into experience that I don't know but I really really appreciate Um, yeah taking the time and being here with us to share well thank you and thank you for listening and being that person who is finding out so that you know when you do come across people you have an understanding and you have an empathy and Mm. and you will you will no doubt be a great friend to them so thank you so much hope you enjoyed this episode come connect with me on instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together i'd love to hear from you and please do share subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience i'd love if you could until next week bye